0: Lucas on Life. Hello, and a very warm welcome to Lucas on Life here on Premier Christian Radio. Thanks for joining me. I'm Jeff Lucas. It's a comment that I'm hearing a lot these days in long-term lockdown. People are saying, I'm missing seeing people and surely our hearts do go out especially to those who are steering through this crisis alone by themselves they are missing family friends church to an extent all of us are experiencing that but let's be especially mindful about those who are alone these days we watch tv and we see films and shows that were shot when no one had ever heard of the word covid remember those days, and we see people doing radical things like going to restaurants and walking around without the masks that make us look like a nation of bank robbers, and practicing unspeakable acts like shaking hands, hugging, and even holding conversations without standing socially distant. In short, we all miss seeing people. But tonight, I'd like us to ask, do we really see people when we see people? What are you talking about, Lucas, I hear you say? Well, you see, it's possible to see people as objects rather than subjects, especially if we deal with a lot of people. And so the busy overworked doctor is told that there's a broken leg in cubicle six in accident and emergency rather than Mr. Brown who lost his lovely wife recently, and the shop assistant yawns with boredom and barely looks up when we walk in the store. We're just another punter in pursuit of shoes. But we can all fall into the trap of not really noticing or seeing people. The minister, pastor, priest doesn't see individuals with stories, but rather a congregation neatly racked in pews, or at least they were pre-COVID. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to others is the gift of noticing. Tonight, seeing people. The afternoon had begun quietly. Richard, my son, and I were cruising down Worthing High Street on a regular sortie in search of CDs. Remember those? Stereos? Remember those? And other paraphernalia that tends to fascinate the male of the species. Suddenly, I spied them and it's at 12 o'clock about 300 yards ahead, three members of a rather infamous religious group. They were disguised, they weren't wearing anything that would show the origin of their beliefs, wearing flat caps and anoraks, but I immediately saw through their trained spotters from Scunthorpe Attire. I'd come into contact with members of this particular cultic group before. Richard must be advised immediately. I hissed an urgent message out of the right side of my mouth. Look, up ahead, chaps with buckets who look like whippet fanciers. They're actually members of a cult. Let's go in. tallyho. Richard had been out shopping with me before and so was a veteran of this kind of campaign. Weeks earlier, we'd been engaged with another couple of low-flying cult members in Chichester High Street and had uncovered a somewhat dodgy ruse that they were using in order to solicit funds from unsuspected civilians. Rattling their buckets under the noses of passing shoppers, they would request donations to help people with disabilities. It was a winning line. The buckets were brimming. Only Richard and I had discovered that this cult didn't actually have a specific program to help the disabled at all. They would use the money to help give out indoctrination literature to the disabled, helping them, so called, by inviting them to join the group. And so now, righteous indignation fermenting in my bosom, I banked sharply and Richard and I went in for the first fly past. The battle plan was simple. The two of us would maintain tight formation as we approached the enemy, and then we would pull up sharply, without stalling of course, and slow down so as to give one of the collectors a chance to approach us. We would then have him clearly in our sights and would be able to proceed to let him know that, despite his disguised fuselage, we knew his true identity, a member of the cult, and we were then let loose with the gospel cannon. Adrenaline pumped through my body as we went in for the kill. We had to walk by three times before they took the bait. Finally, we approached them at a snail's pace, armed with somewhat foolish, cheesy, come take my money, please, like grins. It worked. Either these cult members hadn't noticed our triple bypasses, or perhaps they thought that we were just desperate to donate. Hello, sir, one of them said. Would you like to give some money to the disabled? Steady now. Don't rush get him in your sights, control your breathing, and gently prepare to hit him with a scripture. Are you members of a cult? I inquired firmly, rather smug now, exhilarated even, knowing that this one was going to go down in flames. Yes, sir, I am, came the expected reply, and suddenly, out of the blue, disaster struck because my brain froze, my mouth dried up in a second, and my clever cult-busting cannon jammed, and I couldn't think of a single coherent thing to say. Richard looked at me, waiting for me to let the man have the first salvation salvo, but nothing came. All I could manage was a feeble, no thank you. It was time to get out of there and fast, signalling Richard to follow in my slipstream. I hurried away, hoping to melt into the crowd, but it was not to be. The cult member was angry, and he shouted at my retreating back, excuse me, excuse me, I am a person, sir, and you just treated me like a non-person, sir, and I don't like that. I stopped dead and landed with a stomach-churning bump. Other shoppers halted too and glared at me with loathing, as if I had bubonic plague and I was on a mission to share it. I turned around to face the man who was shouting at me, his face red, his eyes wide, with an offended stare. More slowly than the previous snail's pace, I inched my way back to him. Now was not the time to whip out a special anti-cult version of Journey into Life or a New Testament. Now was the time to apologize for not noticing him. I'm sorry. I'm a Christian, and I just behaved in a very stupid manner, I said. I was ready to give you the Christian message with both barrels, but I couldn't think of what to say. I'm sorry that I treated you disrespectfully. Richard was stunned and later reported the incident to his mum. Yeah, dad spent 10 minutes in the high street apologising to some bloke from a cult. And the man with the bucket taught me that in our desire to be evangelistic, we should never treat people as projects or prospects and certainly not as the enemy. People who are not Christians are not scalps or souls or statistics, They are human beings with thoughts and feelings and opinions, invested with dignity by their creator, marred by the fall, but loved by God still. I'm glad I met that member of that cult in Worthing. I've given up flying. The reason, kings and kingdoms. Seeing people is our subject tonight. And one way to see people is just to listen to them as well. We call it the listening test. It's a little game that Kay and I, my wife and I, like to play. No, this is not about eavesdropping on other people's conversations when in public places, like on trains and in restaurants, although that is another of our furtive little hobbies. Occasionally, when we go out for a meal, Kay actually tilts her head to one side. Apparently, this enables better listening, which is a little obvious. Recently, while sharing a fine chicken passander, I suggested buying surveillance equipment for her birthday, which would enable her to tune in to others more effectively. She hushed me to be quiet, as the conversation unfolding at the next table was utterly epic and far more interesting than our own. She'd make a great spook, as in MI5, not ghost. My pet name for her is GCHQ. But the listening test is what we sometimes apply when we meet new people, and we're suddenly thrust into a conversation. In short, will they see us, notice us, listen to us? Travelling in ministry, pre-COVID, means that sometimes we're met at airports by someone that we've never met, who is holding a card that says Lucas, but unhelpfully is not holding a welcoming balloon. We then get into their car and the conversation, and the game begins we discuss our journey. How was the flight, they say. It was as it normally is. We took off, we ate food, unrecognizable as food, and we landed, the usual routine. We comment on the weather, good, bad, rainy, blisteringly hot. And then we start to ask about them, their background, church, life, interests, family. But the acid test is this. Will they ask anything much about us? And if they do, and we start to tell them, Will they be really interested and listen for long? In short, do they see us? Call me jaundiced if you like, but I have a theory that most people don't really care and are not that interested beyond a few cursory pleasantries. And that can include Christian people, which is a shame because we're supposed to be known by our loving kindness and our interest in others. And that really does mean being genuinely interested. And it's vital if we're ever going to be effective in mission, because as I mentioned earlier, people want to be cared about and not just targeted as projects or prospects. Perhaps we're all casualties of our own busyness, or maybe it's the fruit of being buried in technology, We're far more fascinated by staring at our iPhones and fighting off angry birds than we are in the fascinating story of another human being. But for whatever reason, it's rare to find someone who has the priceless gift of noticing and listening, who doesn't treat conversation as a potential monologue where your answer is simply an opportunity for them to take a breath before they hold court once again. Celebrated psychologist Paul Tournier memorably said, listen to the conversations of our world between nations as well as between couples, they are for the most part dialogues of the death. Why is social networking such a successful phenomenon? It enables us to say what we think, report on what we're doing, even if what we're doing is cooking an omelet. We update our status in the hope that someone somewhere might be interested. You see, we want to be known, we want to be noticed, seen heard the scarcity of interest from others is a fabulous opportunity not for us to fake love but to show authentic care the simple inquiry tell me more can unlock a heart people part with large sums of cash just to experience the fabulous luxury of being listened to a friend recently discovered how being interested can bring a sudden thaw to a chilly disposition Out for breakfast, the waitress who served him was brisk and unfriendly. Noticing that she had a rather spectacular tattoo, he casually remarked, that looks great, that tattoo. Can you tell me about it? Summer arrived in the face of the weary waitress as she enthusiastically talked about the why of her tattoo. Of course, showing genuine interest is not a guarantee of success. Enthused by my friend's tattooed waitress story, A chap who worked in a motorbike store greeted a grumpy-looking biker customer and decided to try his tell-me-more experiment. That's an amazing tattoo you've got there, pal, he gushed. Can you tell me about it? What the heck has it got to do with you, grunted the biker. You can't win them all, but we can win some, or at least make their day. Mariah Peters, I Choose Jesus. Seeing people, listening, noticing. A dear friend has taught me a simple discipline that helps me to avoid the crassness of self-obsession. Whenever he walks into a room to meet people, he makes a mental decision, not to say, here I am, but rather, there you are. This simple little mantra has helped him, and now me, to get out of the temptation that nips at us all, the fixation with us. Jesus was a popular party guest, and not just because of his nifty ability to produce gallons of vintage tasting wine. He looked past labels, prejudices, sins and scandals, and saw people. He noticed. People's worlds were changed. When we listen, when we see, when we notice, we can change someone's world. We can change the world. By the way listeners to lucas on life may be interested to know that i've just had a book published called singing in babylon finding purpose in life's second choices it looks at the story of daniel the biblical character daniel who found himself in lockdown for about 60 years he was deported to babylon but there he thrived in that second choice world singing in babylon is the book. So far, it's been received really well as a timely message for this moment of challenge. And you can get it on Eden or Amazon.co.uk or your local Christian bookstore if they can make it available. Singing in Babylon. See you next time. Lucas on Life.